Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is a special midweek episode of Transformative Principle. I've done a couple of these over the last couple of weeks, last two weeks with uh, Tom Murray. If you haven't had a chance to go listen to those, please do. And today we have Ross Romano. And Ross is a good friend of mine, and he's the Managing Director of Communications and Public Affairs for Mind Rocket Media Group. And we're going to talk to him in just a moment. But first, I wanted to address just a couple of things. We're in this crazy time where so many different things are happening. We don't know what news is going to come down the pike tomorrow that's going to make us change all the plans that we've done for the last two weeks and have us start over from ground zero. Uh, that's been happening in my district and in other districts as well. And some people in my mastermind have talked about the frustration of that, that you know you can't get everything in place. So today, we're going to talk about some things, and those things may or may not uh, be applicable or come to pass because things could change tomorrow. And so, so we're recording this right now in May, and and it's, you know, things could still change. So just keep that in mind as, as you're listening. One thing I want to promote just before we get started is the guestcommencementspeeches.com website that I created to connect schools who are doing virtual graduations with a guest speaker who could come in and help inspire your student. We've already got a whole bunch of schools that have come and registered for that. And we've had a bunch of guest speakers. And I got to tell you, the presentations these people are making are amazing. So definitely want to check that out if you're doing any kind of virtual graduation and need a guest speaker. Jordan Harbinger, who does the Jordan Harbinger podcast, came on and did one for my school, and it turned out super awesome, and I'm really grateful for that. So without further ado, we'll go there first, guestcommencementspeeches.com, and let's welcome Ross Romano to the show. Welcome, Ross. How are you? Hey, Jethro, I'm doing doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. You know, you and I have worked together over the past, what is it, three or four years in uh, helping me find guests for this program and promoting it in different ways. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for that. You've been an awesome uh, partner to work with and a wonderful friend to have as well. And a lot of the great people that have been on the show uh, over that time have come as recommendations from you. So I want to say thank you for that. Oh my, it's uh, my absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, if if you didn't do a good job, I wouldn't recommend people to you. So <laughs> thank you uh, for having a great show here and having meaningful conversations with people. And hopefully we'll do a little more of the same today. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to talk with you today because you have a much different perspective than me. And so you work with mostly companies that interface with education about public relations and promotion, communications, and different things like that. And so you have a different perspective on all how all this coronavirus stuff is happening and what, what it's causing us to do and how we're acting and all that kind of stuff. So uh, can you tell a little bit more about what you do so that people understand what your role is and how your perspective is a little bit different than what I typically talk to on here? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we really are working across the entire spectrum of K to 20 education, honestly, but, but, you know, a high percentage of that certainly being in the K-12 world. And, you know, we're working with uh, both schools and districts directly on that side of things and a number of, you know, companies, vendors that work with districts, everybody from certainly ed tech companies to publishers and other, you know, product and service providers in the space, given the fact that we are directly working with both sides and, and really our focus primarily, you know, there's, there's various different elements of it, but it's, it's all around comprehensive communications, getting the message out and telling the story of the good work that these different entities are doing. So you can imagine certainly on the school side of things, there's so much good work that goes on every single day. But, you know, when you're so immersed in those day-to-day urgent needs, there are limited opportunities to really think about, okay, how can we be communicating this? How can we be describing what we're doing? How are we tying it back to our mission? And, you know, really, uh, I think reinforcing the fact that every single person that works in that school cares deeply about student success, cares about supporting the faculty in the building, uh, and, you know, all these various elements that are really why we got into education in the first place, but can be obscured by everything that's happening every single day. So, you know, on the one end, that's one thing we're supporting. On the other side, you know, as far as companies, many of whom are startups are newer in their lifespan are thinking about, okay, you know, what is the service we can provide to schools? We need to understand what are their pain points? What are the areas we really uh, can be addressing? How are we having a productive conversation to say, we really get your needs. We know X, Y, and Z are things you're really struggling with. How can we go ahead and just demonstrate to you really efficiently be on the same page as far as how we have a solution here? And so a lot of that takes place via, you know, every media platform out there from, you know, the various uh, high quality publications and websites and podcasts and social media and developing videos and things of that nature. But you know, there's so many different ways to get the story out, but it really all comes back to what's that message and, and how are we doing that productively? And I think that, you know, and you talked about us obviously having, being able to have different perspectives, the fact that, you know, we do have so much communication with all sides of that equation. And we also talk directly with teachers. From time to time, we even get the chance to talk to students. So, you know, all those various stakeholders that are a part of this education uh, formula by directly hearing from them, understanding what their challenges are, understanding what works uh, really helps every every member of that ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And so in this time, like many school districts have frozen their budgets and have said, we're not spending any money. And many ed tech companies are offering their services and products for free. And if you're, you know, if you're offering that for free as an ed tech company, but you can't actually sustain that, that's probably not very helpful to you, you know? And so what's your advice to schools about managing those different situations? You know, if a, if an ed tech company offers everything for free, but can't sustain it, and they're going to go out of business in six months because they offered everything for free, how do you help schools make wise choices about that? Right. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, obviously, with the current uh, crisis going on, our perception of what is a free product, what should be free, what, you know, if it is free, what does that tell me about the quality of that product? 
has really changed a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Traditionally, if something was free, it either was lacking in certain features a lot of times, or there was some kind of you know freemium type of model there where you get access to certain features free, but then they want to upsell you into other things, and you know, that's typical, and that's uh, that happens a lot, and sometimes that model works. Uh, in this case, you know, it's products that typically are not free at all, Mm -hmm. uh, that the pressure of the current situation has uh, caused a lot of companies to feel as though they need to make it available free, whether or not that is, frankly, always the most viable decision. And so I think that's part one from a school perspective is I've seen a lot uh, of conversation lately in the marketplace and rightly so about empathy largely, certainly from school leaders like yourself saying we need to have empathy for our teachers and understand all the challenges they're going through and not overwhelm them. Or for teachers and leaders to say, look, students are dealing with all this trauma right now. There's a lot going on. Parents have a lot of needs to support. Sometimes schoolwork is just not going to be the number one thing. And we really need to be empathetic to that, right? The thing that uh, there's another element of empathy, and that's between schools, you know, school leaders and these vendors who are in business for the same reason that, you know, those educators are in business, right? It's about supporting students and supporting teachers and providing the best possible resources. So that's the starting point that I really advise is let's kind of be having the same conversation there and be empathetic toward one another's needs so that we can then have a productive conversation. Uh, Step two is you know, understanding that there just are various business dynamics facing these companies, uh, particularly the very high percentage of them that truly are startups and are still working on gaining some type of a foothold that, of course, they would all love to just across the board, make everything freely available. I mean, they would love to do this in general, really, if they could, right? They want people to use their products, but uh, particularly in the current crisis to support needs, they would love to do that. But, you know, there are economic realities that might not make that the right decision. I think there definitely have been companies that have made things free uh, because they felt that pressure and may um, already be regretting that decision because even with a, a software product, right, it's not a fixed cost. If you go from a thousand users to 20,000 in a week, there's a lot of, you know, incremental additional costs that come yeah, with sustaining sure. the bandwidth and the user base and how do you provide decent customer support and how do we actually make this manageable? So it's, it's you know, easier said than done. And the other thing is, you know, these companies understand what the user experience really needs to be in the school for it to be worthwhile. So, you know, one of the biggest things we've seen, uh, and data has shown this, I think um, I want to say Ed Surge uh, and a few others have reported on the quick drop-off in usage among a lot of these free tools where schools have adopted a bunch of things. And then after a week, the teachers kind of stop using them because, the adequate level of implementation support that typically the companies would provide is no longer available. So now not only may they be putting themselves in, uh, you know, a little bit of economic peril by making things free and then 
having to struggle how to how to work out the user base. But now they're also not providing the experience they really want to provide because they haven't scaled that level of customer service yet. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about that for just a second because that experience can be really detrimental in the long term because if this if the teachers don't have a good positive experience with that, then they could hold a grudge against that company for years. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I was a principal in Kodiak, when I first got there, I was given like this inspirational speech to the staff and talking about how I wanted Kodiak Middle School to be the pinnacle of success or whatever. And it was this really beautiful metaphor that I had like worked on and thought about and knew that there was there was power there. And as soon as I said pinnacle, everybody not everybody, a few jaded teachers laughed and lost it. And I interrupted myself and said, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, Pinnacle was this software that we used to use for grading before we went to some other one or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was bad enough that they had a reaction when they heard the word pinnacle and part of it was they were just being punks as people do sometimes (laughs) to the new guy and kind of razzing him and hazing him in and and that was that was very clear that they would never forget how awful pinnacle was and pinnacle would never be successful i don't even know what pinnacle is to be honest or if it's even around still but that word created this visceral reaction inside them that they could not take anything that had the word pinnacle in it seriously. And so like, that's a real thing. If you're, if you're putting stuff out for people and they have this negative reaction to it, you know, they drop off using it because the support's not there because it can't be there because it's not a traditional environment, you know, that's going to be really difficult. And so for schools, I would say you got to think about those things you're adopting and whether or not that support can actually happen as it traditionally does in a way that makes your teachers and students and families successful with it. Uh, yeah, that's that's completely right. From the school leader's perspective, my advice right now is not really much different than it would be in a typical trial or pilot phase, which is you really need to think deeply about your long-term goals for the program. And it doesn't mean that if you feel like a pilot is a failure, you should just re-up anyway. But it means, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about it as we'll do this for three months and then we'll see what happens. You should already have a vision for what it looks like in the long term. And and then you need to really be communicating that to your teachers because we all know, you know, that really is the number one factor Mm -hmm. that uh, contributes to how much teachers are going to invest in a new tool is do they believe that if I have success with this, if I really like this tool or this product, I know that my school will continue to use it. Yeah. You know, otherwise it's self-defeating because if I'm a teacher and I don't, and I just believe, look, we're using this for three months and then it's done no matter what, how am I incentivized to put the time in to learn how to use it, to use it well, to get my students trained up on something when I know it's going to be taken away. So you're not even getting really valid results out of a Mm -hmm. pilot in that case. It's the same situation right now, just on a much broader scale. And and then on the, you know, the, the other side and where we, you know, bring the empathy piece back into it is one, you know, these companies in that position. And like you mentioned in the the past with uh, with schools having negative experiences on the customer service side. You know, in this case, there could be companies almost forced into that through no fault of their own versus 
okay, not that they didn't really think this through, but that everything happened so suddenly. So hopefully we can at least try to give the benefit of the doubt there where possible. And the other piece is on the communication of understanding, look, like March to June, I mean, that's when these companies are going to make their sales for the year. We're now in May. So we've lost a lot of that season. And, you know, there's companies looking at it as, are we still going to be here for the next school year if we're not able to figure something out now uh, for how we're getting some adoption? So, you know, I'm a little, I like to advocate for just a little bit of patience uh, on the school side when you're getting outreach from companies. Um, I think many eventually caught on to, okay, we need to give this a little time to play out. But there are some who, you know, may have had outreach that was either a little tone deaf or just, you know, just came at the wrong time. When you're a principal, you're, you have hard decisions to make on a certain day. You're having a tough day. We're facing a crisis. There might have been something that was hitting close to home on a more personal level. And then you get that email from this company and they're, you know, purporting to have a solution to all of your distance learning needs. And you're not in the mindset for that. And that's completely fine, right? And understandable. But before we necessarily put them on the permanent do not buy list, never listen to them again, mm-hmm. you know, unless there was something truly egregious, let's just try to understand that they have the same stuff going on too. They have the same stresses and pressures and they know, look, man, the last thing I want to do right now is try to sell a product. However, in a couple of months, are we going to have a business anymore? So, you know, I'm not advocating that everybody should be really trying to to leverage this for sales right now, but just hopefully that we all understand that we're all facing a lot of pressures and uh, there are going to be situations where we just uh, maybe need to give one another a second chance or the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as, as you think about that, the idea of, you know, companies exist to make money, to provide for their employees and to sell a product. And so that's, that's just a reality of the world we live in. There's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes people, you know, associate that with something negative, but that kind of stuff still needs to happen because schools still are going to need those services. And even if school looks very different next year, they're still going to need a lot of those services that, that companies provide. And so in addition to what you're saying of, you know, having some grace and empathy for those people is, I would also say that you've got to really, as you mentioned, also have a vision for what your technology is going to do. So, for example, at the school that I was just at, you know, we were we had a very clear vision about personalizing learning for our students. And so when a piece of software came across and we were able to say, does this meet our vision of personalizing learning for students? And it did. Then it was a very easy yes at that point. And and that was very fortuitous because then we bought it at the end of last year and spent this year implementing it so that then when the coronavirus stuff happened, you know, things, we were already using it. It was already clear to us and the process that we needed to use was already there. So it was a really easy continuation of what we were doing before and it didn't really require us to change all that much and usage actually went up because now the things that we were just dabbling in became the main drivers. And and those kinds of stories can happen also. But the reason why that was successful is because we had that vision of what we want our school to be. And we were able to purchase software that met the vision, 
not the other way around. We didn't purchase software and then create a vision. We had the vision first. And that, I think what, when you said that, that's really important. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, and the thing we know now, um, I think that's a, a plus from a decision-making perspective, even though it's a you know, obviously a challenge in other ways is that you know, we know for the rest of the 2020 calendar year, at least there's going to be a, a high percentage of distance learning, remote learning in place, whether schools go partially back or staggered schedule or, um, or even, you know, stay closed for a while, the beginning of next year, that that's become clear now. So it's helpful in saying, okay, we know what our vision needs to be for the rest of this year, for next year. And you know, we can make the right decisions around that. So let's talk a little bit about some of those decisions and talk about how we can be on the same page with, you know, schools, vendors, and parents all working together to have the same message about distance learning, because that is really, gosh, that's really tough because that is, there's so many unknowns. And, you know, I just posted on Twitter the other day that I'm, I'm good with this idea of like having lax expectations for kids right now when we're like thrust into this. But in August and September, when school starts again, even if we're not going back full time, I think everybody's going to say, well, we really need to like be moving forward. And because it was an emergency in March, we can be okay with that. But learning and the expectations really need to get back to to some learning happening. And in the traditional system, that's the teacher driving all of that learning. I would advocate for more of a student-driven piece where the the teacher is more of a compass. But you know, how do we how do we have these conversations and get everybody on the same page for the future going forward? You know, that's the, the big factor here is because everybody everybody's perspective is pretty much valid and understood, right? We've seen either directly uh, or certainly on social media or other places, conversations around parents, you know, within a couple of weeks into this remote learning and they're trying to balance potentially working from home with, uh, with just regular parenting duties, with homeschooling and basically drawing the conclusion that, you know what, homeschooling is the thing that's going to have to be set to the side a little bit because there's just too much else going on. And, you know, that's a perspective that makes sense. On the other hand, you have teachers who are trying to do their job and they're sending home assignments and they're trying to get in touch with students and parents and they're, you know, they're still being paid to do a job. They're professionals. And so even though they might know, they, they know for sure uh, that that parent on the other side is saying, please, you know, lay off a little bit. They don't have much of a choice. And then there's also the principal of the school. And uh, the principal has to be thinking about the parent and the teacher and saying to the teacher, you know, if I'm forcing you to call me to check in every single day and tell me what you're doing and the only thing you really have to report is, well, I tried to call these parents and they didn't answer the phone and, you know, they really seem to be overwhelmed right now. And, you know, there's just, it's a, it's kind of a pressure pot that can only burst, right? So, you know, we need to take all that into account and understand that these things are real. Now, that said, your point is absolutely correct, right? It's fine back maybe a couple of months ago when we thought "Eh, schools will be closed for two, maybe four weeks, and then we'll be back at it. And it's an extended spring break. And you know what? (laughs) Let's not worry too much about it. We'll get back back to basics. That's not going to be happening. So we do need to be thinking about, okay, how much 
is the digital divide going to widen over these next few months if we don't do something specific to address that mm-hmm. now? How much is, you know, are we looking at basically summer learning loss times two? Because we're out of school for, I mean, maybe even longer if we're still in remote learning. Like, how much are we exacerbating that issue where now kids are just so far behind because they weren't getting assignments? There's too much of a discrepancy in who can get uh, the right kinds of support that's needed. Teachers are really struggling because this district has, was able to provide device or Wi-Fi access, this one wasn't. And all of that comes back to, frankly, and I know I'm just describing the challenges here before we get to solutions, but, you know, I've seen, you know, some pretty logical ways of describing, okay, if we do all these different things, it works. But it works up until what point? So it works up until you have maybe one or two kids. But what if you have three or four kids in the house? <laughs> then what kind of bandwidth issues? What if mom and dad are working from home and there's four kids and everybody's trying to be on Zoom and everybody's trying to be on, you know, like it just, at a certain point, it just doesn't work despite your best efforts unless you have a little more time to plan. The grace right now is there's more time to plan because we know this is going to go on for a while. It's not going to be just a one-month thing. So what I'm kind of anticipating now and recommending as far as a mindset is concerned is this is an extra long back-to-school period that we need to wrap up this year in the best fashion possible and then take a breath for for a couple of weeks. But then really back-to-school kind of starts you know, a month from now. And just thinking about, okay, we know that next school year is going to look very different. We know that maybe it's only reasonable to expect kids to be doing, you know, one or two hours uh, of academic work a day, as opposed to what they would do in a traditional school setting. But a couple hours a day spread over 12 months a year, can still be effective compared to just taking a few months off entirely. The fact that the the school environment, once school starts, is just not going to look any different than what the entire summer is going to look like than what the spring looked like. So, you know, we may as well start putting those plans in place and understating that context now versus having to either one, you know, reintroduce kids to it uh, in the fall or two, you know, failing to learn from the challenges we're going through now because it's completely understood that the vast majority of schools were not set up for what's happening in the spring. (laughs) This was not anticipated, but I think certainly we can anticipate in the fall. And that doesn't mean that it's an easy solution, but it means that if we have the same exact problems in the fall that, that are happening now, then it was, you know, kind of a failure of planning at that point. And, that's where I think everybody in the community can kind of work together to, you know, to do the best possible job to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that that is, is super important, just starting to, to make some of those plans. So I'm in a very fortunate position in that I get to see, because I am connected to so many schools through the mastermind coaching that I do and through the podcast and on social media, I'm seeing a lot of different different approaches to all of this. And some schools are like, no, the learning does not stop just because school's not in session. We're going to keep going. And others are like, you know, pretty much take the rest of the year off. No big deal. And so that, 
and everything in between there. And so, I mean, this goes back to the conversation before about vision. What do you want your schooling to look like? And those schools who have been progressive in their approaches to education to begin with, they're already, you know, set up really well to move forward. I know of a couple schools where the principal there is basically a manager and just make sure that nothing goes wrong. They were completely blindsided, totally unprepared, and could not find a way to be successful no matter how hard they tried because they were never having conversations about grading, never having conversations about expectations, about homework, about all these different kinds of things. And so right now, if you're in that position, you've got to have those conversations immediately. You've got to start thinking about what that's going to look like. And like you said, you've got to wrap up the school year and yes, take some time off and take some deep breaths and try to like wrap your head around that, but then start thinking about what that looks like. And this has forced us into a situation where we have to recognize that we aren't going to have control of those kids sitting in front of us, even if school comes back full time and everything is, you know, just like it was at the beginning of this school year, you're still going to have families that have uh, compromised members of their family who won't send their kids to school because mom has cancer and is, you know, and could get sick really easily. And so they can't risk sending a kid to school. So you've got to prepare for all those different opportunities that could exist. And, and the only way to do that is to start thinking about that very soon and making plans to be able to be successful at implementing some of those things. Yeah, that's those are all <laughs> the challenges. And let me also say, by the way, that you know I've had the as it relates to the current climate, the benefit of having been working fully remote for the last three years now, and so I've lived through all those various cycles of the challenge of Zoom fatigue and you know managing a remote workforce and all these various things that uh, I know a lot of school leaders are going through right now. Teachers are certainly dealing with and. And that the psychological toll of, you know, how a day's work uh, in this fully digital environment can be that much more draining than, um, you know, when you're getting kind of that psychic feedback from being in the school and, you know, and you're talking to your peers and you're seeing your students and, and the fact that even the same amount of work can feel that much more challenging. And we know that a lot of teachers have taken on even more work because those divides quickly, I mean, very quickly turn from uh, working from home and, and just living at work, especially now because you can't go anywhere anyway. So what's there to do? Then try to get more work done, try to figure out the next thing. I was having this you know, challenge with my students. Well, it, you know, if I keep working on it and ultimately, you know, the burnout is real, just the mental fatigue is real. And that's, you know, I think something that just so many people in every industry, not just, not just education, but uh, is figuring out in real time. And, um, you know, I would definitely just encourage, you know, leaders uh, and and what better time than now, because this actually is a mental health awareness month to, you know, just really be mindful of that as well. Uh, and, and that might seem counter, of course, to us saying back to school kind of starts now sort of thing. But just understanding that there are various styles of work, you know, when hopefully the schedule allows for more independent work, a little bit, you know, fewer 
video calls and things like that. Just things that allow a little bit of a recharge uh, because uh, realistically, it, it's it's all easier said than done. But um, I think being aware of of the toll that some of those things take and uh, and that's that's all in addition to the stress of a pandemic, the stress of how is my family doing? How are my parents? How are my kids? Uh, what's going to happen, you know, with the economy, all these various things. I mean, that's all on top of, you know, when none of that's <laughs> happening, remote work can have a lot of these challenges. So it really is, is I mean, the same as we said before, uh, there's no more important time for just having empathy around all those factors and kind of understanding that we're all in the same boat together. And uh, as best as we can support one another, that's kind of the best we can do. Yeah, well, I think this conversation has been really great and really timely. And the last question I have for you is, considering all this is going on, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you, Ross? Yeah. And so, you know, I have a, an idea that I think is is applicable across industries and certainly to principals as well. But, you know, my advice is around communicating <laughs> and hopefully that's intuitive. I mean, based on it's a lot of my job, but uh, what I mean in this case, especially as it pertains to leadership and, and trying to lead transformation and leading through difficult times is, you know, it's really important for leaders to communicate their thought processes and their decision-making processes to those who are affected by it. Number one, in the immediate term, it is incredibly important just for gaining buy-in, for having people really understand the direction and the vision, having more confidence in where things are going, just you know their own kind of confidence and mental well-being and understanding that there really is a lot of thought that goes into this. And sometimes even when you disagree with a decision, if you understand that there was a thoughtful approach, you can at least respect it. Uh, But also, and when I think certainly about what transformative leadership would be, um, it has to do with that's cultivating more leaders. If I'm in a position of decision-making authority and I can help other people understand the decisions I'm making and why and how I'm making them. That's giving them perspective to think about when they're in a decision-making position. And it continues the cycle, hopefully, of good decisions, of, you know, forward progress, of leadership. And, uh, you know, it really is about that there really is so much potential across all of our workplaces um, and schools. You know, we certainly know that every teacher in that school has a tremendous amount of leadership potential and there's various different ways for them to be able to exhibit that. And if they, you know, are a part of the process, understand the process and then understand that they're in position to carry on the process, that's kind of sustainable change versus, you know, transformation being a, this is a 10-week project uh, sort of thing. So uh, that's that's generally what I would advise. And uh, I think it's as relevant now as ever. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say thank you again, Ross, for being part of Transformative Principle. To get more information from Ross, you can follow him on Twitter at Ross B. Romano. And thank you again for all your time and the great work that you've done to support Transformative Principle over the years. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Jethro. And thanks so much for having me.